For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Jet Press Podcast. My name is Justin Freed. I hope you all had a wonderful and spooky Halloween. I'm joined as always by my good friend, Mike Luciano. Mike, what's going on, buddy? How are you doing today? Well, let's welcome in the month of November now that spooky season is sort of dissipating and they begin the process of dethawing Mariah Carey as the Christmas season slowly <laughs> creeps up on us. So in the meantime, in that weird little gray area between then, Let's tide you over with some Jets content. So thank you, as always, for watching the Jet Press. Thanks for 500 subscribers. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it may be you get your podcasts. We're on all those sites. And YouTube and TikTok, both of them at the Jet Press. Make sure you subscribe there. Make sure you give us a five-star review, too, on Apple Podcasts. Again, not for not for our egos, just for the business end. But before we get to... What's going to be a crazy week for the New York Jets? Another primetime game, two in a row. Even though this offense is not primetime worthy, we get two more primetime games. We also get a special guest joining us a little bit later in the show to talk about our opponent, the Los Angeles Chargers. But before that, I have a little message for you from our mm-hmm. friends over at Superdraft. How about okay. that? Have you heard of Superdraft DFS? Because Superdraft hosts daily fantasy prop games where you compete for a chance to win cash prizes. Pretty simple stuff, guys. For each contest, you're given a pool of props for upcoming games. You pick if each prop will be over or under the given total. You can choose up to eight different props for a bigger win. If you want to join in on the action, we got you covered, man. Sign up with our promo code FAN, F-A-N, today. And you'll receive a deposit match up to 20 bucks, and you'll get a free pick in your first game. Think of it kind of like a free square and bingo, or you get like a free leg to your parlay. Really helps you maximize your winnings here. So using code FAN not only gets you these rewards, but it directly supports the podcast. So that's how you want to show your support. We are immensely grateful. So make sure to use the promo code FAN when you sign up. This offer is only available to new customers who are 18 and older. 19 in Alabama, 21 in Massachusetts, and are physically present in legal and gambling states. Please remember to always game responsibly and check the episode description for the full terms of the offer. So now that we get that all out of the way, let's go talk Jets football. And I so bad wanted to break down a Devontae Adams or Hunter Renfro or Darnell Mooney acquisition because I was so excited for what they were going to do at the deadline. Maybe they get an offensive lineman to shore things up there. They did get one a little bit later, but not through any sort of big trade. We'll get to that later in the show. So at the end of the day, the Jets at the deadline did nothing. Ugats, no additions. And this really, I'm really conflicted about this because I've always said, you know, it takes it takes two to tango. You can't just, it's not just one-sided, these trade discussions joe douglas can't just take players off other teams because he has needs other gms have to be willing to move them they have to be willing to 
make a reasonable offer in Joe Douglas's mind. That doesn't excuse the fact that it's still it was still a pretty tough watch. I'm not gonna lie because. All right, Hunter Renfro didn't get traded. You go, all right, maybe the Raiders, especially with having they just fired McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, I don't think they were in a position to really make deadline moves like this. What really stung was the Ezra Cleveland move to me because Ezra Cleveland was a guy who we both liked, we both thought could be a reasonable target for the Jets. But we we honestly said, I don't know if Minnesota would deal him. Young guard, they need a line, especially with Jaron Hall, a rookie quarterback coming in. You'd think they keep Ezra Cleveland. Instead, he goes to the Jaguars for a six-round pick. And when I see moves like that, that's where I get pissed because it's one thing to go barking up a tree and just the other team isn't receptive. That happens all the time. It happens every single week. When Minnesota was clearly motivated to deal Ezra Cleveland, And Jacksonville, who I don't even think Cleveland would start there. I think they have their five linemen pretty much set. He's just more of a depth piece. When they're able to leapfrog you and they don't have as pressing of a need on the offensive line as you do, you being the Jets in this circumstance, that's where I really get upset and a little frustrated with Joe Douglas. Yeah, I'm with you. I Like you said at the beginning, it's important to, to have context here. Like you said, it takes two to tango. The Jets can't just make a trade if there isn't a receptive trade partner. Uh, as Bernie in, in chat points out, Trader Joe, as he calls them, Joe Douglas did try to trade for Devontae Adams. That was a report that came out from uh, Brian Costello of the New York Post today, said that the Jets were inquiring about Devontae Adams. They were inquiring about Mike Evans. They wanted to trade for both of them. They they were very interested in, in making a big splash move for a wide receiver. Unfortunately, those guys didn't get traded for a reason because their, their two teams had no interest in trading them. Now, with Adams... I think it might be a different discussion come the offseason, and that's something that I imagine the Jets will absolutely revisit, especially with the Aaron Rodgers connection and the Nathaniel Hackett connection. But it wasn't going to happen midseason, not not only because they fired their GM yesterday or I guess technically today because it was like really early in the morning or whatever, uh, depending on the time zone. But not only because of that, but they'd already made it clear that they were not moving him midseason. They'd have to take on a ridiculous amount of dead cap to do that. And despite his frustrations, that was never in the cards. That was never their plan. Uh, and so they tried. The Jets definitely did try, and they were they were poking around the offensive line market as well. Uh, apparently, uh, just couldn't get a trade. I'm with you though, Mike, because the one the one trade where you can be like, well, why didn't they make this one? Because you see another team do it is the Ezra Cleveland move. You know, we we can sit here and be like, the Jets should have traded for Hunter Renfro, but Hunter Renfro wasn't traded, so we don't exactly know everything going on in that situation. We do know with Ezra Cle- Ezra Cleveland that it took a sixth round pick to get him. That's all it took. And if the Jets we're willing to do that. Maybe he ends up with the Jets, but it doesn't seem like they were interested in that same report by Brian Costello said that the Jets were not super interested in Ezra Cleveland. They did not think he was a good fit with the team, which look, man, I'm not a coach. I'm not, I'm not part of that coach. We're step- worried about fit. We're signing guys off the street. Right. One fit to me sounds like an excuse for, we don't have connections with this guy. That's what it sounds like, because that's why they went out and signed Roger Saffold. That's why Xavier Newman, who, by the way, cheap plug, we got an interview coming out with Xavier Newman coming out at 4 PM today. So right after the show, stay tuned for that. I'll remind everyone later. Uh, But Xavier Newman, Roger Saffold, Dennis Kelly, they all have connections to Keith Carter and, and Todd Downing from the, the Titans days. It sounds more like when they say fit, it's our coaching staff isn't super familiar with him, so we're not going to bring him in. That's what it sounds like to me. Because to my knowledge, if I might correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember Ezra, Ezra Cleveland coming out of college. He was a zone blocking guy. He was a, an athletic zone blocking guy, which those are generally the, the, the linemen that the Jets look for in this offensive scheme. And I'm pretty sure the Vikings under Kevin O'Connell run a very similar scheme. So the fit to me, 
I don't see where there's a problem with the fit. It just sounds more like, oh, he's not he's not a guy that we have familiarity with, so we're not going to bring him in. It, it's nepotism. That's why Hackett's here. That's why all Rogers' buddies are here. Now, going back to your question earlier, I mean, my my knowledge of 2019 Boise State offensive film <laughs> is is limited. I remember thinking that he was a very good athlete for the position when I was right. watching him at Boise State, and that was evident early on. The problem was he just didn't really have enough oomph in him, and he really struggled kind of with anchoring and kind of going up against bigger linemen in the NFL. Now he put some weight on because he came in kind of a smaller lineman. Now that's not really an issue. But Ezra Cleveland's the one that's going to sting too because – I'm glad you brought that up too, because all I've heard about the Jets, and again, like I don't want to criticize things too much because we like the roster. We generally like the process of how they operate or how they arrive at conclusions a lot with, I mean, that's why Aaron Rodgers, we didn't know that would happen, but that's how we got here. That's how a lot of the players they drafted got here. So it's working out. But with some of these ancillary things, a lot of coaches, I've never honestly in my years of football, honestly seen it more so than the last couple of years where they're, prioritizing familiarity either do either prioritizing or confusing it with skill because they may know the offense well what good is knowing the offense if you can't execute it we can watch as much jets film as we want and know parts of the offense there's no way we could play offensive line you have to be able to implement it and where i've where i'm drawing the issue is adding inferior talents not that these guys they're adding are necessarily bad linemen but a guy, when you look compared to Ezra Cleveland, who may be inferior, and you're saying, well, Keith Carter knows him, or well, Nathaniel Hackett knows him, or they have this nebulous definition of scheme that they fit into. As I've often complained about, all I hear about nonstop, at least once every single week from the Jets, Nathaniel Hackett's offense, he's a, not a good fit for the offense. He has, this offense is very complex. This offense is very difficult. Either dumb it down because it's not working, or like, what is it? What is it about this offense? That apparently a guy like Ezra Cleveland, who this is a Shanahan E system the Jets are running. He comes from McVeigh, which is basically the same thing, the Shanahan McVeigh tree. Why can't Ezra Cleveland run it, but guys that they're signing off the practice squad you think can run it? I know that the guys on the practice squad again have more familiarity because they've probably been in the building for a couple weeks, but the Jets aren't in a position to just sacrifice talent like this. I agree, and the other thing about Ezra Cleveland that not only is he you know, based on track record and recent track record and improvement over Roger Saffold, the, the player that they did eventually bring in, but he's a potential piece for the future. Like the, he's 25 years old. And even if the, even if the plan is not to extend him, which if they do extend him, cool, he could start a guard next year. Maybe you keep Elijah Vera Tucker at right tackle, maybe Joe Tittman's center, or maybe you even move on from Lakin Tomlinson. And now you have Vera Tucker back at left guard and then Cleveland at right tackle at right guard. That's a possibility. And then maybe you're looking for right tackle. I know it costs a decent amount to move on from Tomlinson next year, but it's something they could consider. But even if they don't, even if they say we're not going to extend him, you're bringing in a guy for a sixth round pick. If you're saying we're not going to extend him, if he walks in the offseason, you're probably getting a comp pick for him. Because like, I don't think the Jets are going to spend a ton of money in free agency this offseason, especially if they make a move for like a Devontae Adams. They are not going to be super active in free agency. So they're probably going to kind of let more go than they bring in, which means they will qualify for comp picks. And if that's the case and you trade for Ezra Cleveland, you get you give up a sixth round pick. He's probably walking and you're probably getting that sixth round pick back if you don't extend him. So I, I see no harm in doing it at all, even if you don't think he's a good fit or whatever. At the very least, he's really good offensive line depth if you don't want him to start, which at right now, I don't know how you wouldn't want him to start. I mean, right now, you're you're probably starting Billy Turner at right guard this week, you know? So I it's just... 
it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Not only is it a play for this season, because Mike, I don't know. I think he, if you if you brought him in right now and say say Joe Tippman's not healthy, you could argue he'd be your best offensive lineman. I don't think that's a hot take. I, I really don't. I, I like based on how he's played this year and last year. I, I think he he could potentially be their best offensive lineman if they brought him in now. At the very least, he's an upgrade over what they have, and then he's a potential piece for next year. Or you just let him walk and recoup the comp pick. So I, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me why they weren't interested in that. I agree with you. I think it just comes down to connections. They they use the word fit. It's connections. They don't know Ezra Cleveland personally. Keith Carter has worked personally with Roger Saffold. He knows him. He knows him as a human being, which that matters a lot. It shouldn't, but it does matter a lot in not only football and sports and in life in general. It does matter, and they've seen them play. They know how they interact in the locker room, and that stuff matters. They haven't seen it with Ezra Cleveland, and I think they use that as an excuse to not bring him in, and I think that's silly on their part. I want to get to a comment on Facebook from SafETT, if that's your preferred name here. Uh, why would the Jets trade draft picks? We picked up depth at O-line. We have receivers and running backs. We have a good defense. We need the picks for alignment. Well, here's where solid receiver. I, I, well, here's where I disagree. I'll 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 have the more measured take of the two. I think because I think Justin's <laughs> ready to unload. Well, solid receivers. Well, yeah, they have a solid receiver, Garrett, well, Garrett Wilson. Receiver. Yeah, and a, and a guy who for half a game is a solid receiver, Alan Lazar, and the other half of the game he's not. Where I differ, I mean, the, we need the draft picks for alignment. Well, the first round pick, I think, almost a thousand percent is going to be some offensive lineman probably a right tackle and they're obviously not trading that number one they can't anyway because technically the the pick hasn't really because of the conditions tied to it because of rogers well let's let's be real mike that'll probably be an edge rusher they'll probably draft an edge rusher oh yeah they're gonna get (laughs) why don't we build the whole plane out of edge rushers jared verse or someone they'll draft turner yeah somebody (laughs) but but, all right so they're probably gonna pick alignment in, in the first round there like what the jets are doing now it's not just acquiring depth They've done that now. Now they're playing literally guys off the street in the middle of a playoff chase. You need an impact player on this line, and that's why we like Cleveland so much. Cleveland could have been a guy for the future too if he really impressed you, and if not, it's a six-round pick that you might get a comp pick back for, so it's even less risk than what happened with James Robinson last year. It's a less risky pick, and it would have been a better addition. It fills a need a little bit better. So you can still get alignment in the draft next year. They're not going to mortgage the future and get an elite lineman. They're trying to get somebody who is maybe average to above average and not rely on guys playing their first games in the NFL in the middle of a playoff chase. My other issue with this take is I wholeheartedly disagree with your assessment of this Jets offensive offensive personnel. You said they had solid receivers and running backs. I, I, no, they don't. Like, like they just don't. Their number two running back, I mean, Dalvin Cook is their RB2. He's statistically the worst running back in the NFL this season. If you want to say Michael Carter's their second best running back, I agree with you. He has eight carries this season. If Brees Hall were to go down, you're playing mostly Dalvin Cook with Michael Carter sprinkled in and then maybe a little bit of Izzy Ivanikan. That's not good. That's really bad. Michael Carter is a fine RB2, I guess. They use him as a third down back. He's not a great receiving back. He's a better blocker than he probably should be given his size, but you can definitely upgrade there. You could absolutely upgrade over Dalvin Cook. One guy I was banging the table for was was Cordero Patterson. I would have loved for them to make that move. I don't know how much the Falcons were actually interested in trading him, but he's not really given much of a role role right now because they have B. John Robinson, Tyler Algier. I would have loved Cordell Patterson, but even not, even if it's not running back, your wide receiver room sucks. Like it just sucks. It's not good. Garrett Wilson's a star. 
nobody's denying that. Nobody's disputing that Garrett Wilson is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. I, I, I truly believe you could say that right now. Alan Lazard is second in the NFL in drop rate. Randall Cobb would be double anybody else in drop rate if he had enough targets to qualify. He statistically, I broke this down a couple of weeks ago. I don't want to go on another Randall Cobb brand again. Don't make me do that. But he is, you could argue, statistically the worst player in the entire NFL, given how much he plays and how negatively he impacts his team. That's their wide receiver two and three. Xavier Gibson, he's fun. He's a great story. I, I hope that he gets more of a role moving forward, but that's not somebody you should be relying on as you're relying on as your wide receiver three. And then who else? Jason Brownlee, Malik Taylor, Irv Charles. You have a bunch of undrafted guys and Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard, who are the two, basically two of the top three leaders in the NFL in drops. That's not a good wide receiver room. Outside of Garrett Wilson, they have nothing. If Garrett Wilson were to go down, this would be shades of the Deontay Burnett, Rashard Matthews wide receiver room. I'm not even joking. It's that bad. So, no, I disagree. They don't have solid wide receivers and running backs. They do have a really good defense. I agree with you, obviously. I don't think anybody here was really you know, banging the, the drum, banging the table, saying, hey, let's let's go out and, dra- and, and trade for a defensive player. I mean, maybe a, a run stop, it, run stuffing nose tackle. but Maybe a safety, tackle. I don't know. Maybe a safety, but they, that was not a priority. The priority was wide receiver or offensive line. They didn't address either. They, they did sign Roger Saffold. I guess it's something. But realistically right now, you're looking at the rest of the season as Randall Cobb as your wide receiver three or Xavier Gibson as your wide receiver three. And that's that's not good. Regardless, I'm not, I'm not going to say, oh, they absolutely should have traded for wide receiver because I don't know the whole situation. But, man, I, it's it's really hard to sell the remainder of the season as Randall Cobb is our wide receiver three. That's a tough sell. Two more points I want to make when we get on to the next segment. Number one from Cisco in chat. Why have we not signed Collins, being Lyle Collins? Exactly. Number one, a combination. Number one, not very good. Number two, as we said earlier, no connections to Keith Carter or anybody on the Jets offensive staff. And number three, I mean, there's been a billion offensive line injuries and he hasn't signed. I'm guessing he's probably holding out for some bigger deal. He's made enough money in the NFL where he has that leverage where he can kind of wait things out and hope somebody pays him what he's asking for. So a lot of converging things here on Lyle Collins for why he didn't get signed. And I want to add on to that. He's a, he's a tackle. He's not signing to play guard. I would be stunned. I mean, he played guard early in his career in Dallas, but I would be really surprised if he signed with a team to play to play tackle or to play guard. And the Jets don't need any more tackles. They have an abundance of those right now. Makai Becton, Max Mitchell, Billy Turner is obviously your backup tackle. Dwayne Brown should be coming back soon. They need, they need interior offensive linemen. That's why all the guys they brought in for tryouts were interior guys. They're not looking at, at tackles. I've seen people say that a bunch on Twitter, and I don't understand it because they don't they, they don't need tackles. Like I, obviously, Leo Collins would be if he brought him in, I'd be excited. That'd be a fun signing. But they just they're not looking for tackles right now. And, and then number two, we'll get on to more offensive line talk a little bit in depth. This is driving me nuts every time I hear them talk about the Hardman situation, which again looks bad now. Now that we're saying, can they maybe throw deep a little bit more? with Zach Wilson, and now the one big deep that they had is gone. All I keep hearing is Xavier Gibson came in and took his role. Xavier Gibson doesn't play either. What role did he take? The one that has four snaps instead of zero? That one? I, I don't get this. Like They're acting like Xavier Gibson, who, again, we've had, we like what Xavier Gibson's done this year, but just in his limited opportunities, but he's not like a huge statistical contributor. Why do they keep acting like they... Got rid of Hardman for this amazing dynamo. Xavier Gibson guy never plays. Randall Cobb took his role. Like that's that's I, I agree to some extent. If they say their role for maybe Cole Hardman was a a 
basically a gadget guy who would just be there for his speed. If that, if that was their envisioned role for him, then I could understand it. But they specifically said that he was going to play a significant part in their offense. And if that's the case, Randall Cobb's playing 49% of snaps. He's your wide receiver three. He's the guy who's playing a lot of snaps. That's who took Michael Hardman. It's role. not even because what Cobb is running, I'd imagine Hardman, if he was on the field, probably gets a little more vertical. So yeah. it's not even like they're running the same role. It just, the right. whole thing didn't make sense. Now, obviously, part of that, again, to play devil's advocate, I guess, a large part of it is because they had to completely change the offense after Aaron Rodgers went down. That is that is true, and that is an actually valid excuse. That being said, when your wide receiver three is Randall Cobb and you have a bunch of undrafted guys next to him, there's no excuse for not being able to get Miko Harmon involved. I know we're kind of beating a dead horse with that. Miko Harmon's long gone, but he's not coming back. The Jets wide receiver room is what it is right now. Scott and chat asking about Jason Brownlee. Um, I'll, I'll guess we can touch on that really quick, and then we'll get to the offensive line. Um, Brownlee, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what you know his role is going to be. I'm all for anybody right now over Randall Cobb, but the thing with him is he's an outside guy, so it's really Gibson and and Cobb that are competing for those slot snaps. Unless the plan is to move Garrett Wilson more inside, and if that's the case, that's that's fine. Like I, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I just really I posted the the wrong chat up here, but somebody else asking about Brownlee. There you go. There's Scott's there's Scott's thing about Brownlee, and there's Cisco about Brownlee. Um, but yeah, I just I don't know I don't know how many snaps Brownlee's gonna get. I think he only had like two snaps this last game. Um, if everyone's healthy, I don't even think he's active. But I am all for anybody any wide receiver on the roster, including Irv Charles, including anybody on the practice squad, getting snaps over Randall Cobb at this stage. Now. What the Jets did is another great exercise in it's the Dalvin Cook trap of name recognition versus talent and kind of how much stock you put into that because they signed Roger Saffold. And Roger Saffold, despite making the Pro Bowl last year, was regarded as pretty terrible in his one year with the Buffalo Bills. But he's been brought into the practice squad, and the expectation is soon that he will be brought onto the active roster. And here's why I'm maybe not as facing my hands upset about Roger Saffold as some of the other Jets fans were, because again, last year he wasn't particularly good in Buffalo. Like that's, that's true. He's an older guy. He's had health problems before. I think he failed a physical at some point. Like this is not a guy you're getting at the peak of his career. But if you look at Roger Saffold, who is starting what will be, this will be his 14th NFL season. He's played left tackle, right tackle, left guard, right guard. Now he's been mostly a left guard pretty much for the last like years and years and years. But with the Rams, nine years, highly productive, made an all-pro team, goes to the Titans for three years, was instrumental in helping Derrick Henry doing what he did and do what he did rather, and helping Ryan Tanhill kind of revive his career. Then he has the year in Buffalo where he's not very good. The running game, which was his specialty, he's like a run blocker, better than a pass blocker, didn't really amount to much of anything. It was obvious they needed a replacement. He almost got benched at one point. Saffold's ceiling with the Jets depends almost entirely on how much you think last year was a fluke. Because we've seen that happen before. Sometimes, bad situation. Maybe he's playing with a smaller injury. Maybe the scheme is not very favorable. Sometimes, just one year, nothing goes right. And the last year in Tennessee, I don't want to make it sound like he was Larry Allen or uh, Randall McDaniel or something like that, but he certainly was a pretty solid lineman for the Titans all three years he was there. So if you think that year was a fluke, then the Jets just got a really good Band-Aid for this offensive line. Maybe they have to move Lake and Tomlinson to right guards and Saffold is left guard exclusive, but I feel like 
that was probably considered when they made the signing. So I'm sure that Lakin's probably okay with that. If you think it's a fluke, the Buffalo year, this is a pretty solid signing. Now, if the Buffalo year is indicative of what he is now, don't expect much from him. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate the move. It's hard to hate the move given what their options are at this stage. Like he is one of the most experienced and accomplished options that were actually available to them. I would say that there's not a particularly strong track record of 35-year-old offensive linemen having a really bad season and then suddenly becoming good again. I, I, I'm not – my expectations are low. It feels to me like you're having – it's like a Ryan Khalil signing, That's except it's midseason. That's what it feels like to me. Obviously, the difference was Ryan Khalil was – he was expected to be the starting center going into the year. Saffold is basically a Band-Aid where you're like, hey, we're hurting. We need to bring somebody in. At least this guy has experience with our coaching staff. My expectations are pretty low. I imagine what the case will be this week. Obviously, everything depends on Joe Tippmann. If Joe Tippmann plays this week, that's great. The Jets are in pretty good shape. I'm going to assume he misses another week just based on how Salah spoke today. I feel like I'm starting to maybe be able to decode Robert Salah's injury updates. He said that he was hopeful he would play this week. Every time he said that this year, the guy has not played. So I'm <laughs> I'm pretty confident in saying that I feel like Joe Tippmann is not going to play this week, which means their options at center – are Xavier Newman, who, again, I know we mentioned it earlier. We got an interview with him dropping at 4 p.m. today, so stick around. It's it's right after the podcast. If you want to check it out after, it'll be live on the Jet Press YouTube channel. Uh, their options at center are Xavier Newman and, according to Robert Sala today, Chris Glazer, who they just re-signed. He was on the Cowboys practice squad. He's been with the Jets last couple of years. Practice squad guy. He was in training camp. I checked. Chris Glazer has never played a game, or at least in college, had never played a game at center in his life. So right now, if Joe, he might have played in high school, although all the recruiting stuff I found said he was a left tackle. So. And even if he did high school, right? Oh, he so, blocked the guy after he got done math class. All right, that's that. And that's Xavier Newman's story again. That's a spoiled the interview. When I asked Newman, I was like, "How much have you played center in in you know in your career and stuff?" He he didn't. He played it once in college. He had one start in college. He barely played it in high school because he was mostly a guard and tackle. And then he's been playing some scout team center for the Jets. But they rotate all those guys around. So that's the extent. And he had never snapped to Zach Wilson. I imagine the exact same thing will be the case with Chris Glazer. I don't think he's going to be snapping to Zach Wilson. So if their plan going in this week, which it seems like this is the plan, if Tippmann doesn't play, is Xavier Newman and, and Chris Glazer as their two centers, two guys who are not centers, who are practice squad players, that's not a very good plan. Reg regardless, let's just assume Tippmann doesn't play. You got Newman at center. I'm going to guess their right guard this week is Billy Turner. And I'm going to assume that maybe they just elevate Roger Saffold. It depends on how quickly Saffold is able to adapt. I don't think they're going to move Tomlinson. I'm pretty sure Tomlinson will just stay at left guard. Saffold has played right guard. It just wasn't in the last like six years, seven years. But he's done it. He has done it. He's played. I think he's played all four besides uh, center, all four of the other offensive line spots in his NFL career. So he, he has, but pretty much it's been from the last couple years with the Rams even, and then all, all the time all the Bills that's been left guard. It, well, it has, but – I think I'm pretty sure Tomlinson has mostly been a left guard too. At least he was with the Niners. I forget with the Lions. He got drafted by the Lions as a right yeah. guard. He struggled, right. and then they made him a left guard with the Niners. That's where he took off. So let's let's keep Tomlinson. I don't think they're moving because I don't think the solution is to move more players. Tomlinson is one of the is the only player who has literally started every game at the same position. Well, you're also moving Saffold then to a position he hasn't played in almost a, a half decade. At least, at least he hasn't been playing this year. Tomlinson's been playing at one spot this year. Keep him there. I don't think they move a starter. For a guy they just signed to their practice squad. I don't think they would do that. They might move Becton again too, though, because they are. That's yeah. I want to get to a question here from Josh Kerr in chat where he asks, 
where does Dwayne Brown factor into this? Because the Jets announced today that Dwayne Brown, his 21-day window for, uh, for being activated to the active roster has opened, so he is now practicing with the team. Where does Dwayne Brown fit into this? Based on what Robert Sala said today, it sounds like Dwayne Brown is going to be your left tackle when he comes back. That's that's what it sounds like. Mekhi Becton spoke to the media as well. They asked him about it, and I thought it was a very mature response. He said he just wants to play football. He doesn't care where he's playing. He doesn't care if it's left tackle or right tackle, and that's the right response because I know Mekhi Becton wants to play left tackle. I, he made that very clear in the offseason, and I don't blame the guy. Not as but directly as you could possibly make something like that clear. He, he literally said, I am a left tackle in the offseason. They're very direct. Uh, but the issue is that look at this offensive line like we were just talking about. Everybody's moving around. You think Xavier Newman wanted to play center? You think you think Joe Tippman wanted to play guard than center? You think he wants to bounce around? Like he practiced most of the year at center, and he was starting at guard. Guys are moving around all over the place. Billy Turner was playing. He Billy Turner practiced at left tackle all summer. Then he was put in basically, hey, now you're – I guess he was still the backup left tackle or whatever. But now he's playing right guard. Everyone is being bounced around. Everyone's moving around everywhere. So I don't think Mekhi Beck did any leg to stand on and be like, I'm a left tackle. I'm not going to move. So I appreciate the mature response from him. It does sound like when Dwayne Brown returns, which who knows when that'll be. It could be this week. could be next week. could be the week after that. They have 21. They have three weeks to do it, essentially. Uh, when he returns, he'll be playing left tackle. Mekhi Beck will move the right tackle. Max Mitchell probably goes back to the bench. Uh, which then, you know, you're, you're, you have a lot of tackles. You have Max Mitchell on the bench. You have Carter Warren on the bench. You have Billy Turner, who obviously has been playing some guard. They got, they have, and Dennis Kelly, who they just promoted from the practice squad as well. But it does sound like Dwayne Brown would be the guy at left tackle uh, and then back to moves back to right tackle, which I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Mike. I'm okay with it. You know, I, I, I think I've been saying for a while, hey, stick, stick with how it's working. I think Makai Becton has done an admirable job at left tackle. I think he's been better at left tackle than right tackle. But at the same time, I get why they're doing this. They want to get their best five out there. And I'll be one of the few Dwayne Brown defenders left in <laughs> the Jets fan base because I don't think we've seen a healthy Dwayne Brown literally ever with the Jets. I have no idea what he's got left. Maybe he's trash. I don't know. But the last time he played last year, he was playing through a shoulder injury the entire year. And then this year, he clearly wasn't healthy. So and I he got some really five. tough matchups right off the bat with that Buffalo yeah. defensive line and freaking Micah Parsons. I say give him a shot, see if a maybe healthy Dwayne Brown who's not facing Micah Parsons could be a serviceable left tackle and then Beckton at right tackle. That's I'm cool with that. I don't I don't blame them for making that decision. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now, one thing that the offensive line is going to have to go up against in Monday night against the Los Angeles Chargers is some very interesting edge rusher pairings with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. We'll get into all things Chargers, so let me bring in... Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! Ooh! The, I have to tell them something, Mike. I have to tell the people something important from our friends <laughs> over at Super Draft Daily. You're right, you're right. I thought we were going to do that after, but all right, let's go. <laughs> We're gonna do it. Let's do it now. We're, we're, All right. What's the what's the meme? We'll do it live. We'll do it now. Right. Do a live effort. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Live. We're we're doing live. We're doing now. Hey, <laughs> Jets fans, have you heard of Super Draft Daily Fantasy Sports? Super Draft hosts daily fantasy prop games where you can compete for a chance to win cash prizes. The game is simple. For each contest, you are given a pool of props for upcoming games. 
You pick whether each prop will be over or under the given total. You can choose up to eight different props for a bigger win. If you want to join in on the action, we got you covered. Sign up with our promo code FAN, that's F-A-N, very simple, today and receive a deposit match up to $20. You'll also receive a free pick in your first game. Think of it like a free square in bingo or like a free leg to a parlay. Uh, using our code FAN, that's FAN, when signing up not only gets you these great rewards, but it also helps you directly support our podcast, which, of course, we always appreciate. So make sure to use our promo code FAN, that's F-A-N, when you sign up. This offer is only available to new customers who are 18 and older, 19 and older if anybody's listening from Alabama, 21 and older if you're in Massachusetts, uh, and physically present in valid states. Please remember to always game responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer. Now, Mike... Now we can welcome in the maestro over at Bolt Beat, our fan-sided Los Angeles Chargers site, a guy who is just an absolute machine with Chargers content, the one and only Jason Reed. Jason, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, guys. That uh, ad read by Justin was great. I, uh, oh, I approve. 10 out of 10. I mean, it doesn't compare to mine earlier in the show, I'm just going to say, but... <laughs> he, didn't hear it. he didn't hear that one. <laughs> yeah, that's neither here nor there. What is here or there is Chargers talk, and... Obviously, the big matchup everybody's going to be watching is Justin Herbert against this Jets defense. And we've had some hesitation, at least me and Justin, talking about this game because of all the elite quarterbacks that the Jets have embarrassed by Robert Sala's own words, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, they've all been willing to throw the ball down the field and they've gotten burned because they keep trying to go for these big plays, which the Jets defense philosophically does not allow. Despite the huge arm, Justin Herbert, almost to a fault sometimes, goes, all right, I'll take the five-yard completion. And normally I'd be like, all right, he's that's not the best way I'd use Justin Herbert, but that's what the Dak Prescott did, and Dak Prescott killed the Jets. So I'm wondering <laughs> what you think, how you think Herbert's going to end up doing or Kellen Moore's going to end up doing against the Jets' defense that is built almost entirely to stop vertical throws and keep everything in front of them. Look, I don't love the matchup. I wish I could come out here and, uh, you know, pound the Justin Herbert table and say that this is going to be, you know, primetime Herbert is something Charger fans have talked about in the past. He always seems to play well when the lights are the brightest. Just look at uh, Sunday Night Football against the Bears. That being said, it's the Bears, so I don't know how much weight we want to hold that. But I, I don't love the matchup. I mean, we have Joshua Palmer's dealing with a knee injury. It's really cloudy about whether or not he's going to play in this game. Uh, and without him, obviously, no Mike Williams already with the team. And without him, you have a 31-year-old Keenan Allen who's been good this year, but without Mike Williams has been really easy to kind of take out of games, at least, you know, limit what he can do to beat you. And then obviously the Jets have Sauce Gardner, so the Jets are a rare example of a team that doesn't need multiple guys to stop Keenan Allen, so that's concerning. And then behind him, you have an unproven rookie in Quinton Johnson who hasn't done much of anything this year. This game against the Bears was his first time making a difference, but even then it wasn't anything substantial and it was a blowout so they kind of opened up the playbook and then you have Darius Davis who's been huge in gadget plays you have uh Jalen Guyton who's most likely returning this week hasn't played in 14 months and he's coming off a torn ACL so who knows how much of that speed threat's really there so I I don't love this matchup quite frankly for Justin Herbert in the offense uh the inability to run the ball for the Chargers has been really debilitating for the offense you know you can pass rushers can kind of pin their ears back go after the quarterback when you can't run the ball and this Jets defense is just, it's built to make good offenses look really bad. And right now the Chargers offense, when it's at its best, it's really good. But it hasn't been at its best for a month now. So I'm a little concerned. I know Jets fans just got excited when you said that. Because this defense is built 
for pinning their ears back and just getting after the quarterback. They actually allow a decent amount of rushing yards this season, although a lot of that is on accumulation. Of course, Saquon Barkley rushed like 40 times last game, so that'll happen. Uh, But I want to ask you about this. I would say the strength of this Jets defense lies in their pass rush. The Chargers offensive line, they got some pretty good pieces on there. Of course, Rayshon Slater, they got Corey Lindsley. What are you thinking of that matchup going into this week? Who do you think gets gets the upper hand there, Jets pass rush versus Chargers offensive line? Well, the Chargers O-line has struggled a bit here recently. Lindsley's actually missed the last, I believe, three games. He has a non-football related injury. It's a heart issue. They've been very vague about what he's dealing with. Um, it doesn't look like he's going to return anytime soon. And obviously, you just, you know, you hope for the best for his overall health outside of football. You know, football's not important enough to risk anything. But so he's been out. Will Clapp has been playing in place of him, who's fine. He's fine as a blocker, but he doesn't do all the the designations, the blitz picks up, the the protection packages, all that stuff that a veteran like Corey Lindsley does. And the Chargers have struggled a little bit. They got two young guards. They have Zion Johnson, Jamari Salier. They've been struggling. Trey Pipkins is serviceable. He's fine, but against a good pass rush, you know, he's been not the best. And the Chargers have the worst blocking tight ends in the league, which makes no sense why they didn't add one at the deadline. So this matchup, I mean, look what the Cowboys did three weeks ago now, two weeks ago now against this offensive line. Justin Herbert was under duress all game and he had his worst game he's had since his rookie season. So I kind of see more of the same against this Jets team, unfortunately. Luckily, Zach Wilson's the quarterback on the other sideline, so they might get away with it this time. And therein lies the rub for (laughs) for this whole game. It's the stoppable force against the movable object with Zach Wilson and this Chargers defense who – Although they looked good against Tyson Bajan, I mean, every time Brandon Staley kind of needs to really put rubber to the road and say, all right, we're going to lock in, not only does he not perform well, he gets toasted. And, I mean, we've both been critical of Staley. He's a defensive coach, and he can't get the defense right, despite it being a very expensive defense with tons of stars on that defense. The matchup I'm watching, too, is again in the trenches because we just gave you chapter and verse about the Jets offensive line and how bad it is and how makeshift it is. They're literally pulling people out of the practice squad. We don't know who's going to start at what position outside of maybe one or two guys. And then you get Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, who I think right now, now Bosa, I think is still very, very good. Uh, Khalil Mack at this point, I think he might be a little more bit of a brand name than he Mm -hmm. is a player. I believe he has seven sacks this year, but six were in one game and it was Aiden O'Connell's first ever NFL start where he's probably crapping his pants every time Mac got got near him. So I think the, the main question is how how impactful are Bosa and Mac right now? And are they impactful enough where by themselves they can give a makeshift offensive line and the most skittish quarterback I've seen in the league in probably a half a decade in Zach Wilson falter under pressure? Yeah, the Chargers pass rush. Almost a pass rush, like Colin, uh, Chris Collinsworth. The pass <laughs> rush has been uh, sneaky good this year. I think, as you mentioned, Joey Bosa is still a very good player. Got off to a really slow start this year. Was dealing with a groin injury and then broke his toe. Was dealing with a toe injury. Was playing limited snaps. Wasn't himself. Uh, against the Chiefs, he was downright bad, in my opinion. Uh, did some things in that game, not containing the edge. Just questionable decisions that allowed Patrick Mahomes to escape out of the pocket. But last week was Bosa's best game of the year. Cleo Mack, he's still really good against the run. I will give him that. I think he's a a well above average edge run defender. So, you know, running outside the tackles hasn't been as easy for other teams as it was before against the Chargers. But then the big X factor, you have Tuli Tuipolotu, who's the rookie out of USC, who has been kind of this Swiss army knife. They've been able to put him next to Cleo Mack or Joey Bosa, put one of them in the inside. And it's 
it's created, you know, substantial results. You have Morgan Fox, who isn't a household name. I don't blame any Jets fans for not knowing who he is. But if you look at like the raw pressure numbers from PFF is like quietly one of the best pass rushing interior defensive lineman in the league. I mean, he's not great against the run, so his role is limited. But Let's in his limited Bryce roles, Huff, many are saying. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Bryce Huff. Those four, I mean, have created, I, I believe uh, Arjun Menon, I've quoted him before on Fansided Podcasts, he, he had a graph out that was like the best four-man packages for pass rush. And I believe those four were second or third in pass rush win rate. So this defensive line is built to beat a bad offensive line and beat a quarterback who is skittish, like you mentioned. And Staley's defense as a whole is kind of set up to be really good against bad quarterbacks. I mean, obviously, every defense is going to be good against a bad quarterback, but his whole philosophy is being as complex as possible. The problem is his defense, it's a little too complex where they don't understand their responsibilities, and that's how you get so many explosive plays. But when you play a quarterback like Zach Wilson, who can't dissect and find the holes in it like a Patrick Mahomes or even a Dak Prescott can, that's when you get the results like last week against Tyson Bajan, against Aiden O'Connell. Brandon Staley, he looks like he's, uh, you know, Michael Jordan against these bad quarterbacks. But against anyone else, you know, he's he's LeVar Ball. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at some numbers here. And, you know, the Chargers, they rank 31st in the NFL in yards allowed. But it seems like they're a lot better against the run in the past. As you were mm-hmm. just mentioning, they got some guys there. Uh, and I would say the absolutely the strength of this Jets offense, if you if they have a strength, is that they can run the ball, or at least they can they can make plays with Brees Hall if they just get the ball in his hands. So how do you think the Chargers are going to go about trying to limit Brees Hall in this game, both in the running game and out of the backfield? Yeah, I think this is an interesting game. I think this is kind of the first real test this Chargers run defense has had. Two years ago, 2021, Brandon Staley's first game, or first season as head coach, excuse me, he was the Chargers had like a historically bad run defense. It was like one of the three worst run defenses in the league in the, in the history of the league. Excuse me. Since then, you know, it's gotten better. They've added guys. They've changed the philosophy. And this year it's been pretty good. They played the dolphins in week one who have a good rushing attack, but they just threw all over the Chargers, So they didn't need to use it at all. And then they played the Titans in week two and held Derrick Henry to a reasonable game, 25 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown. Like for Derrick Henry, you'll take that every day of the week. But this is the first matchup since then where, They're playing a team that needs to run the ball to win, if that makes sense. They can't really rely on their quarterback. Uh, The Raiders, I mean, they had to run it with Josh Jacobs, and he actually had his best game of the year against the Chargers. But this is a game where they're going to set it up to, you got to run the ball to beat the Chargers, and can the Chargers defense, you know, handle it? I think, I don't think they're going to change anything. I don't think they're going to bring extra guys on. They're going to, you know, blitz packages, anything different than they normally do. I just think they're going to hope their front wins against this offensive line. And they're going to hope Kenneth Murray, the fourth year linebacker continues to play well. First three years of his career was terrible, but he's a point and shoot linebacker. He's actually been pretty decent this year. So I think he's kind of the big difference of stopping the explosive running plays for the jets. Kenneth Murray is when Quincy Williams was bad. That's what I keep thinking of with. Kenneth exactly Murray. It's just like dog chasing a car kind of thing. Yeah. Sometimes he gets it, and then a lot of the times he doesn't, and there's big plays. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we've discussed this on off the air before, but you have a really unique perspective on this, and guys like this always fascinate me, even though he's not in the team anymore. The whole J.C. Jackson saga and how it went down just fascinates me because we've always seen – literally there are dozens of guys who leave Belichick are terrible as soon as they get paid. I mean, we don't need to know Jamie Collins, Trey Flowers, everybody. Sante Samuels one of like the few who didn't. Like it's it's almost more of an exception to the rule at this point. And then obviously now he goes back to New England. I'm just you got to just let Jets fans here know what the hell happened with J.C. Jackson. Is he got a five year deal? 
and he ended up playing seven games for the Chargers. Now, I get he went from a man-to-man coverage team in the Patriots to a kind of a zone-heavy team in the Chargers, but there's no way that explains how calamitous this fall was. I mean, do I have an hour to go over the podcast and talk about the full history? Eh, maybe. Let's see. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was a toxic uh, marriage. I think I said this on the Arrowhead Attic podcast when before the Chiefs-Chargers game. It was like, I, it, was a, it was a bad marriage. It's like your friend who, you know, he's in a bad marriage. Everyone wants to see it end, and it keeps going on. It drags along, and finally it ends, and everyone's better for it. Um, JC Jackson, before his first season, had elective ankle surgery two days before the season. It might not have been two days. It was like a week, a week before the season. The team said he didn't need to have it. He chose to have it because it made him feel more comfortable. There was conflicting reports. And then it's like, Hey, why didn't you take care of this sooner? That kind of got his slow start going. You know, he missed a few games. He came back in week two, but was obviously not healthy. Missed week three, obviously. And then he comes back in week four and he struggles in Brandon Staley's defense. He doesn't know. He, he's not used to this style of play. He's finally actually starting to get his footing. And then he ruptures his patellar which is historically like a, a death note for an NFL career. Like there's very few guys who have come back and played, let alone come back and played and been good. So that slowed him down, obviously. Comes back into this year. He's a step slower. He still doesn't understand the defense. He makes a bad uh, a penalty in week one that cost the Chargers the game, ended up losing by two, gave the Dolphins three points. And then it just continues. And, you know, he, he wasn't playing well. He got benched. He tried getting put in the game, or they tried putting him in the game against the Raiders, and he said no that he had to tie his shoes and warm up and, or he had to warm up and then he untied his shoes. So it was just a bad relationship. But then on the other hand, I don't fully blame him. Obviously he is to blame, but the chargers never did anything to put him in position to succeed. It's, and this has been Brandon Staley's biggest problem from day one defensively is he's trying to fit round pegs into square holes. I get it. You're a new head coach and the Rams defense was really good when you're there first year with the Chargers. Sure. Try out your way, try it out. See if it works. Even year two, half of year two, you got all these new pieces Keep trying it. I get it. But now that we're in year three and your way still isn't working with the guys you have on the roster, like at some point you have to change it up and you have to conform to the talent on your roster, not force the talent to conform to your way, especially when your way is not working. So it was bad on both parties and it was best for everyone involved that he moved on and he's playing better in New England. I still think his resurgence is a little overstated, but it's it sucks to see just another Charger signing not work out. I'm just too used to it at this point. He, Staley should take a lesson from Robert Sala because that first year in 2021, I get he had nobody personnel-wise on that defense, but they were, I think, last in the league in points allowed his first year. And then towards the end of the year and the beginning of the second year, he simplified mm-hmm. kind of what he wanted defensively. And, I mean, obviously he got, you know, Sauce and DJ Reed, that obviously is an immense help, but you know, that helps a lot. But also look at the results. I mean, even before like everybody kind of got comfortable, like you could see very early on that there was a big change made. Instead, we got we got boy genius Mr. Peabody Brandon Staley over here trying to win, you know, a gold gold medal award for most amazing defense. And this is what you get. You just get confused people running around not knowing what they're doing. Yeah, they don't need the best defense in the league. They need like the 16th best. Just be league average. That's all you need when you have Justin Herbert as your quarterback. But what do I know? I'm, I'm, I'm sure kidding. he's going to give a long, very thought out answer with a bunch of football Twitter buzzwords that in his oh. press conferences. Because I remember in the, I fell into that trap when I first saw him. I'm like, oh, this guy's great. And then everyone did. Doing it. Like, okay, shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> he's a grifter. That's what I call him. <laughs> It's hard not to draw those comparisons with J.C. Jackson to, as Jets fans will remember, Tremaine Johnson, another like ball hawk corner. Sign. I'm sorry, Mike. I'm sorry to do that to you. Well, we're having a good show. <laughs> the ball hawk corner that they pay a lot of money to comes in, 
just falls apart, whether it was just age, injuries, whatever it was. It's hard not to draw the comparison. But I want to ask you about a different, I would say, underperforming charger. And we talked about him, or you you brought him up a little bit earlier. I want to ask you about Quentin Johnson, because I think a lot of fans who are not closely following the chargers are maybe confused about what's going on, especially if you maybe drafted him in fantasy or something like that. And you're like, what's going on? Mike Williams got hurt. This guy was supposed to step in, and now it's his golden opportunity. And he hasn't done much. That said, he is coming off, of course, his best game of the year. Five catches, 50 yards in his last game. Is the arrow finally pointing up with him? And what has kind of gone on? And I, I guess, how, how have we gotten here? How have we gotten here? What's going wrong? And, and maybe is it finally, is he putting it all together? Yeah, it's it's kind of the same song and dance with everything with J.C. Jackson. Uh, I told anyone that would listen that asked me, I think like three people did, not to brag, they asked me about Palmer or Johnston after the Mike Williams injury. And I was like, you need to get Palmer. Like Johnston still isn't going to be this high volume guy that you think he is. I think it's two things. Number one, same song and dance. They're not using him properly. Uh, this is a guy who, despite his size, despite his speed, had problems making contested catches in college and had drop problems. He is not a jump ball receiver, at least not this point in his career. He needs to put on muscle. He needs to work out with the jugs machines and he can develop into that one day. I don't want to say he can't. But as he is right now, he's best utilized as a yak guy, an underneath guy. It doesn't make sense with his athletic profile, but just with what he can do, that's how you have to use him. We finally saw the Chargers use him like that in that game against the Bears. Up until then, they're using him like he's Mike Williams. He's not Mike Williams, and that's the problem. It's You're not putting your guy in a position to succeed. He's not getting separation, and Justin Herbert doesn't trust throwing him a jump ball like he would Mike Williams because he's not Mike Williams. Number two is I think the plan was always for him to be like a second, third, fourth, fifth year kind of guy. I don't think he was ever supposed to have a role on this team. I think obviously he would have got some yards. He would have had some design looks and everything. But in theory, the the idea was always going to be, you know, Keenan, Mike Williams, Josh Palmer. I think they expected Jalen Guyton to come back after the bye. I think it took a little bit longer than they wanted. But I think that was it. I think they were getting away with those top three until the bye, which is week five. And then they were going to bring Guyton in as the fourth guy and then kind of just develop Quentin slowly and have him be the guy next year because both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams have a combined like $65 million cap hit. At least one, if not both, is going to get cut for cap room because they simply have to. They're like $40 million over the cap. So I think that was the plan. He wasn't supposed to be much of a role his rookie year. And then he's thrust into this role and they don't really know how to use him in his second year. I'm not totally out on him as a prospect. Obviously, when you look at Zay Flowers, you look at Jordan Addison, it, it hurts, especially when both of those guys made more sense for the Chargers even before they picked QJ. They were totally going to take Jackson Smith and Jake, but 100%, and then he got Probably. picked right before him. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Um, I, I, I still I don't think he's going to make much of a difference this year, honestly. Maybe they, they change my mind and they use him more on screens and quick passes, quick outs, all that kind of stuff, but... I don't know. I, I just don't see it, but they're going to have to because if Josh Palmer doesn't play this week, he's wide receiver too. And what do you do there? You know, so I think it's time for predictions now. And uh, I'll let you go first. I'll let the Chargers guy go first. I don't want to mess up my momentum. I've gotten, I believe, every single Jets game I predicted right this year, except for the Eagles. So um, I got a good prediction thing going. I want to see where Jason's at because to me, there's all these problems with the Chargers. You said you don't like the matchup, but I keep having the back of my head. They can't shut out every great quarterback. Somebody's going to go bananas, and it, it might be Herbert. He's certainly got the talent to do that. Where are you at with this? This is such a tough game to predict. I've been pretty good with the Chargers predictions this year, too. Uh, 
just knowing when they're going to lose because they're the Chargers and they always lose. <laughs> I think the safest prediction is that it's going to come down to the final two minutes, no matter what. Uh, so I think all three of us need to make our predictions where it's close because it's a Chargers and a Jets thing where just every game has to come down to the last second. But at the end of the day, I hate the matchup for the Chargers, but then I look at the Jets side of the ball. I see a bad offensive line. I see a good pass rush and I see a really bad quarterback. If Aaron Rodgers plays this game, I'm predicting like 30, 13 Jets. I'll just be honest with you guys, but Aaron Rodgers isn't playing. So, you know, knowing, you know, that Rodgers isn't playing. I also know he loves the world heavyweight championship belt. Justin's a wrestling guy. So I had to bring on my WWE title belt because I'm predicting Chargers win an ugly primetime game. 17, 14 Chargers. <laughs> Champs, baby. I can't predict the Jets win. I don't got a title belt. This isn't fair. I <laughs> and it spins. Oh, it's yeah, the Montreal screw job stuff. Is this? It's the John Cena <laughs> spinner belt. I love oh, it. Yeah. I love it. Oh my god. <laughs> well, now I can't. I can't predict the Jets win. This sucks. I, I see. Here's here's the thing. I agree with you completely. I think it's absolutely going to come down to the last second. And I feel like Jets and Chargers fans are alike and they just assume their team is always going to lose those close games at the end. It just it just historically has happened for both of these franchises. That said, recent history has been on the Jets side with that stuff. Like they've been winning those close games a lot this year. Maybe part of it's luck. Football is a lot of luck. Maybe a part of it is just they're finding ways to win. And for as as not good as Zach Wilson is, because he's obviously not a good quarterback. He's a backup quarterback. For as bad as he can be, he does seem to do well and do play at his best in those two-minute drill situations. When he's not thinking, when he's playing backyard football, that's when he does well. We saw it this past week against the Giants. He's just kind of chucking it down the field, and he'll make some plays. I think if the Jets are in a situation where it's a late-game situation, where it's either Zach Wilson needs to try and win them the game, or even if their defense needs to try and win them the game, and, and Justin Herbert is just trying to make some plays happen, I think the advantage goes to them because that's when this Jets defense thrives. That's why they've had so much success against guys like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. When quarterbacks are taking chances against, against them, they make them pay. They did it with Jalen Hurts. They did it with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. It happens all the time. The Chargers win this game if they are in control of it. That's that's how they win this game. If they are trying to just run clock at the end of the game and they're able to, to pick apart this Jets defense just going down the field slowly and dinking and dunking, that's how they're winning this game. But if it comes down to Justin Herbert needs to make a play, you know, we've seen Justin Herbert make a lot of plays late in games. He's he's won the Chargers many games, but he's also blown it a couple of times. And that's obviously that comes with the territory. And I think J this Jets defense is one of those defenses that might make him blow it. So I don't know. It'll just honestly, it's going to come down the game flow. This is a cop out answer. It's going to come down to just how the flow of the game is going. I'm going to predict a Chargers win one because I don't have the belt and two, <laughs> two because I'm going to assume they come out with a very similar game plan to what the Cowboys did, which is just Dinkin and Duncan. I think the Chargers take an early multi-score lead, and if they take a multi-score lead against the Jets, I'm not sure this Jets offense has the firepower to bounce back. So that's going to be my prediction. I'll say, let's say 24-13 Chargers. That's That'll be my pick. We get a couple of Greg Zerline field goals, and then maybe a Brees Hall breaks one. That's that's going to be my pick. Before Mike gives his prediction, uh, I just want to tell Jets fans listening, if you want to get an idea of how this game is going to be, Go look up the Chargers Monday night football game from last season against the Denver Broncos. At that time, the Broncos still had a really good defense. Bradley Chubb was obviously still on the team, I believe. Russell Wilson was terrible. Another terrible Wilson quarterback. The Chargers won that game 19 to 16 in overtime and only won because the special teams unit made a really good play on a punt. They pushed the blocker into the guy who was trying to make a fair catch. Guy muffs it. Chargers get the ball. They kick a field goal and they win. I Charger, think that's going to be how this game is. Chargers special teams versus Nathaniel Hackett. What a duel. So, 
The Chargers could play the 07 Patriots or the SUNY Cortland Red Dragons, and they'd be in a one-score game yeah. in the fourth quarter. Dude, they shout out SUNY Cortland. Let's go, Mike. That's just, yeah, I remember some stuff. Let's go. That's just, that's just how this team operates. But one thing I think both of you guys have overlooked, like these, this defense has some problems. Like They're near the bottom in everything. And obviously, Zach Wilson's not very good. We know he's not very good. He didn't even play, I don't think, amazingly against Denver, who at the time had like the worst defense in NFL history when they played him. And they still put up 31 points. I still think they're going to find some way somehow to move the ball. I think Brees Hall is not going to be bottled up like he was last week, even with the improved run defense. And with the secondary being what it is, I mean, God, every play in that Giants game, in bad weather, they knew they were throwing it to Garrett Wilson against the good rookie corner, Deontay Banks. He still had seven catches for 100 yards. So now you go up against what I think is a worse secondary for the Chargers. Who knows what I think is going to happen? And as you said earlier, Justin, that Zach Wilson has three fourth quarter comebacks this year. Zach Wilson, it's just this weird. He has more comebacks than every quarterback in that draft class in his career. It's quite (laughs) preposterous. The Jets are nine and seven in Zach Wilson's last 16 games, which is kind of crazy to think about. And literally two of them, two of the New England games, if they had – the 50th best quarterback in the league, they win those games. That's how the Jets are operating with Zach Wilson. So because of that, I think Herbert will move the ball. I just have a tough time seeing another 10-point, 13-point. I know it's Zach Wilson coordinated by Nathaniel Hackett, but with the obvious holes in this secondary, I feel like Brees Hall is going to break a big run. I feel like Garrett Wilson is going to have a big day. I feel like this might be an Alan Lazard comeback after kind of a helter-skelter Giants game. I don't know if the they have the personnel if the Jets actually do start throwing to necessarily slow them down. So I'm going to go Jets 24, Chargers 21. Herbert will get his. Eckler's a good player, but I think if they don't really establish running the ball early on, Eckler can kind of get stuck in the mud a little bit, and the game plan just ends up being little dump-offs, and he ends up with like eight catches for 30 yards, which doesn't help anybody. So if yep. they can't get Eckler going early and Zach Wilson starts off a little hot, like Kansas City level hot, I don't know. I feel like the Jets could pull this out. I think it's going to just come down to how the game starts. Like in my mind, what my my pessimistic Jets brain is is envisioning, I'm just imagining the Chargers come out with a very similar game script to what the Cowboys did. They dink and dunk and they score in their first drive. Maybe the Chargers get the ball first, score a touchdown in their first drive. Already the the offense is in a hole because for as great as this Jets defense is, they've not started games very well in all the season. They are much better in the second half. So I can totally see a scenario where the Chargers score. 17 of the, you know, I said 24, 13, but they score 17 of those 24 points in the first half. And then it's maybe 17, six or 17, seven or something like that going into the half. And now you're, you're playing from behind again. Maybe the jets could come back. I don't know, but I, I, in my head, I'm just imagining the chargers dinking and dunking. I think the jets defense for as great as they are, might have a bit of a letdown game this week. I'm just imagining it. I used to, you said it yourself, Mike, they've, 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 as Robert Sala says, embarrassed a lot of elite quarterbacks one of these quarterbacks is going to get the better of them. And I think Justin Herbert and the way that this Chargers offense attacks defenses is suited better to playing this Jets defense than a guy like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. But it's going to come down to how they start. If you're in a situation where Justin Herbert has to win you the game, honestly, I'm, I'm much more optimistic about the Jets defense. But I, I can totally see it going either way. It just really comes down to how the game starts. And with that, we're going to call time on the Jet Press. Thank you so much to Jason Reed over at Boltbeat. Make sure to check Boltbeat out and all the wonderful things he's doing on the fan side of the network. Jason, uh, any final thoughts before we sign off? 
Yeah, I think if there's ever a week to bet a defensive slash special teams touchdown or bet that the game ends in a tie somehow, I don't know what books take that bet. That's might be my direction. Well, it would have been last week when the the Giants were playing 1920s John Heisman football and they almost won. So Josh Kerr and Chad agreeing with you said the prediction's so obvious, it's got to be a tie, 23-23. There you go. This feels so, like a tie. <laughs> I think Jets and Chargers fans know their teams very well. <laughs> Not only is it going to tie, but it's going to tie in an incredibly stupid way. It's going to be a muffed yep. punt or yep. – you ever see sometimes when the ball's raining, the ball just slips out of the quarterback's hands and then somebody will run it back? Yep. Like It's yep. Jets-Chargers on prime time. It's going to be a stupid game. Like We know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the stupidest possible. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for Jason Reed for joining us. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it may be. Get your podcast. We are on all those platforms and YouTube and TikTok, both of them at the Jet Press. Make sure to subscribe there and make sure to leave a five-star review for us on Apple Podcasts. And I'll sign over to Justin for right now. Yes, sir. Really quick before I sign off, Jason, do you have anything you want to say about like you know where, where people can find you, plug yourself? Go for it, buddy. Uh, how about this? I'll plug my movie podcast, Within the Lines. If you like movies, uh, me and my childhood best friend, we uh, came up with a fail-proof way to review movies and give it a scale from 1 to 100. So go check out Within the Lines anywhere you can get your podcast. We just reviewed Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, spoiler, wasn't as good as people say. <laughs> Hell yeah. Jason is multi-talented. Chargers, Lakers, Dodgers, everything LA sports pretty much. Uh, anyway, oh, I mentioned it before earlier in the show. Uh, we had an interview with Xavier Newman, one of the unsung heroes of Sunday's game. That just went live as of a minute ago. So if you're watching this live, if you're watching this on delay, check it out in the Jet Press YouTube channel. That is live right now. Anyway, thank you all for joining us on the show today. You can follow Mike on Twitter at by Mike Luciano. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin T. Freed. Follow the Jet Press at the Jet Press. Download the Jet Press podcast wherever you get your podcast, as Mike just mentioned. Also, check us out on YouTube and TikTok. Subscribe, like, hit that notification bell. You guys know what to do. We stream live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time and live immediately following every single Jets game. Thank you all for listening to Jet Press Podcast. I've been Justin Freed. That has been Jason Reed. And that has been Mike Luciano. We'll see you guys next time. See you guys on Monday night. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.